Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for December 20th, 2017. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about a bunch of news, including a bright sequel, The Shape of Water Gets an Oscar Snub, It Director's Cut, Art of Miss Fowl, Casting, a What We Do in the Shadows TV spinoff, Why Lando and Obi-Wan Weren't in Star Wars Last Jedi, and I'll share with you some of the deleted scenes from that film. And at the water cooler, we'll be talking about the TV series Happy, and HT is doing a 2017 animated films catch-up marathon. Uh, This is Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, guys, join me over here at the water cooler. Uh, we can talk about some of the stuff we've been up to. I know we haven't had one of these uh, since I think last week. Um, I haven't been up to much. I've been uh, head deep in all this, all these Star Wars: Last Jedi books. You know, there's an art of book. There's a visual dictionary, and while a lot of it I'm using for work, you know, you'll see a write up of the visual dictionary tomorrow on the site. And you've definitely already seen a bunch of information that's come from the art of book on the site. These books are just amazing. Uh, You know, if you're a fan of this movie or even Star Wars, I highly recommend you check these out. Uh, The art of book is just um, even for The Force Awakens. uh, These books are the closest that we're going to get to like a making of the movie. Like it really gives you an idea of the evolution of the story and the visuals of the film. And there's just so many great pieces of art in there. The Visual Dictionary, which is written by Pablo Hildago, who's of the Lucasfilm Story Group. Uh, that is, you know, it's, it's more like probably something you could give a kid, but it has lots of cool canon explanations for things uh, that might not make it in the movie. You know, you get a map there of the galaxy showing you where Octu is in relation to everything. Uh, by the way, it's close to Dagobah, which... Is it, it seems weird that it's closer to Dagobah than it is to um, to Jeddah, which we saw in Rogue One. But anyways, uh, I will get into all that tomorrow on the site. I also last night watched the first two episodes for the sci-fi TV series Happy. Have either of you guys heard about this show? I have not. I've, I've heard about it, and I, I saw the trailer, and I thought it looked uh, cool. I just haven't watched it yet. 
Now, I usually avoid sci-fi TV series because generally they they aren't that great. I, I hate to paint you know a whole network with a broad stroke, but I, I will in this case. Um, but you know, I saw the trailer for this, and it it it, it you know sucked me in. Uh, Happy is from one of the directors of Crank, uh, Brian um, Taylor, I think. Brian Taylor. Uh, so if you've ever seen Crank, you kind of know what you're getting yourself into. This is like an insane, crazy, uh, you know, the not just the, the style, but the premise and the characters are all kind of, uh, you know, if you could turn it up to 16, it's turned up to 16. And it's, it's a story about a a former cop turned hitman who, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil too much for anybody, but uh, at some point, an animated blue flying horse voiced by Patton Oswalt uh, appears to him. And uh, it's the story of him trying to solve uh, the abduction of a girl and this is his uh the girl's um imaginary friend named happy so uh i know that sounds really weird uh the style of this is very uh you know i I love that we're getting this these kind of crazy tv shows recently with you know like the guy that did uh fargo and legion and we have uh smell doing you know mr robot uh, it's kind of in that kind of realm. So if you like that kind of crazy, uh, you know, you don't know what's going to happen next kind of thing, uh, this is definitely for you. And I've only seen the first two episodes, but it's, it's very enjoyable. And I would say make it to the end of the first episode. That's where I think it, it kind of, uh, you know, figures out its way. But, uh, yeah, I would recommend it. I've only seen the first two episodes, so I can't uh, highly recommend it. But uh, I'm, I'm going to keep on watching. HT, what have you been up to? So I've been working on this sort of wrap-up of the 2017 animated movies. And in the process, I've been binging a lot of the films that came out this year, which are not great. Uh, The sole exception being Coco, but the rest of the mainstream animated films from this year have been pretty abysmal. And I went through this one day where I just marathoned um, the Emoji Movie, Smurfs, and I think... Uh, what other film did I watch? I think it was uh, Captain Underpants. And I felt myself, my soul slowly, slowly slipping out of my body. <laughs> it was just, I, I've come to the conclusion after watching a lot of these films that Hollywood hates children. <laughs> and it's really saddening or to me because... Hollywood thinks children are dumb. Or they hate children. That too, but... Um, We've seen a lot of films recently that have a sort of have treated children and have treated family movies as an as an opportunity to tell uh, moving stories that appeal to all generations like Coco, like a lot of Pixar and some Disney films. But the films that have come out this year have not quite uh, been up to par with those with those stories. Um, Although I did watch Ferdinand yesterday and was kind of pleasantly surprised. Uh, That was the John Cena bull movie. And. (laughs) while there is a really, a really long dance sequence in which some horses dab, um, the movie actually holds up pretty okay. But I think I've, I'm kind of at the end of the tunnel in which I'm like, you know what? Anything is good at this point. <laughs> but it, it's, it has the structure of a classic sort of Disney film and actually got a bit heartwarming towards the end. So um, that is that and uh, Cars 3 and Coco are kind of the lone bright spots in terms of like the mainstream animated films. All the other... Um, 
good quality animated films are not really in Hollywood right now. They're out in foreign in foreign films or in uh, indie theaters. So those are going to be a little bit harder to get my hands on. Yeah, I was going to say, have you seen Breadwinner yet? I haven't I have, seen it myself, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah, I have I have it on my list, but I haven't been able to see it. It's sad, actually, because I know Breadwinner came out earlier this year, and it's just been almost impossible to find to find it uh, now that it's out of theaters. Um, let, there, let me there see other... if I can get a screener for you. I think uh, oh. I can maybe arrange that. Awesome. Yeah, there's another movie, Loving Vincent, which is up for um, – Oscar, the Oscar animated shortlist right now, and it's in theaters at the moment. But of the other ones that are sort of uh, have a glimmer of hope for the animation in 2017 are really hard to get their hands on, except for anime. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, the Japanese film In This Corner of the World, which was a phenomenal World, world War II movie um, that was... Um, one of the most beautifully animated movies I've seen in recent memory and the best uh, World War II anime film I've seen since Grave of the Fireflies. It was just so affecting and, and heart-wrenching. So that was a great film. But yeah, nothing really, nothing has been really great in the American animated uh, landscape recently, which really saddened me. Yeah, I, I saw Coco for the third time this week and not because I love it, just uh, my girlfriend Kitra had not seen it and I had seen it Two times before that, once for the junket, once uh, a unfinished cut of the film many months ago. Uh, and that film, it, it grows on me every single time I see it. And not that I didn't like it the first time I saw it, but uh, it, it it gets better the more you see it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyways, uh, let's jump into the news. And first up in the news is Netflix has announced that they are doing a bright sequel. Chris, what is going on here? Yeah, so Bright, which is the new Netflix movie starring Will Smith, uh, directed by David Ayer and written by Max Landis, it drops onto Netflix this Friday, the 22nd, but already ahead of that, Netflix has already ordered a sequel with Will Smith in it, which would make this the first uh, Netflix franchise, which is just strange to think about that that's going to exist now, just the uh, Netflix franchise. So they're apparently very happy with this. They think it's going to be, you know, a hit for their viewers. And I guess we'll see. I, uh, I remain a little skeptical because from the trailers, at least I think bright looks terrible, but I guess we'll see. They screened it for press this week, but I have not talked to anybody that actually went to the screening. So I don't know uh, how it did. I know that the, that the embargo breaks later tonight. So, uh, you know, maybe even by the time you listen, you're listening to this, you can check out the article on slashfilm.com rounding up the early buzz. Uh, but we'll have to see. I, I'd be shocked if it's good, at least from the footage I've seen. Um, I don't really have any hopes for Bright. It does. It just looks like a, a film that is not for me. So I don't really know why it's already in the works for a sequel, except Netflix has a tendency to sort of... Uh, put trust in their creators uh, ahead of time. So I guess that's the case with the Bright sequel. It's weird, though. They even, like, waited, like, a month or two to announce the Stranger Things, you know, too, after, you know, the hit hit of Stranger Things was. So it just seems so weird that they're already in development on this sequel and it hasn't even been released. And and who knows what the reaction is going to be. 
from uh, <laughs> from Netflix subscribers. But uh, let's talk about a snub. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, which is an incredible film, has already been snubbed by the Oscars. HT, tell me it's not so. So The Shape of Water was one of the films that did not make the shortlist for best makeup and hairstyling for the Oscars. So this is not the complete finalized list yet, but this is a shortlist that comprises of seven films, one of which actually includes Bright. So David Ayer and his films have a good streak right now going on with the Oscars and best makeup. So the films that are in contention are Bright, Darkest Hour, Ghost in the Shell, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I, Tanya, Victoria and Abdul, and Wonder. And while some of these films have do have some impressive uh, makeups and makeup and effects, it's a little strange that The Shape of Water, which hinges on this one really gorgeously done um, creature uh, underneath uh, pounds of makeup and uh, special effects and um, physical, practical effects, is not in the running for it. It seems like a shoe-in for Shape of Water, but for yeah, some that, reason that, it's that been whole, snubbed. That whole movie hinges on Doug Jones's uh, makeup, mm-hmm. like to be- to make it believable. Like it, and it's it, and it looks so good. Like it that, looks beautiful. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, that, it's that is a shame. Yeah, it's odd because well, his character doesn't speak a word. So it, like you said, it it depends really heavily on the design of the creature, and it's made to um, sort of convince the audience that Eliza is falling in love with uh, the the fish man, the amphibian man, and. Without that makeup and without the stellar work that Guillermo del Toro's team is doing, it would not have worked. So it's a it's a very strange snub. Was it not eligible for some reason, or did they just literally just snub it? Um, I don't know about eligibility. It, I I'm just, it, it, it it's just it's so strange. I'm just wondering if there was some sort of because every now and then the Academy has like a has like weird rules where they disqualify things for certain reasons, and I'm wondering if that happened for some reason, but I don't know what it would be. I'm wondering because it's a combination of visual effects uh, and practical makeup. If that has something to do with it, do you know what I mean? That that could be. Maybe they don't categorize it as holy makeup, yeah. so that could be the reason. Yeah, because it's part sculpted, sculpted too. Oh, for sure. Uh, and uh, when it came out, uh, we, we were talking about a possible director's cut getting released. Now we have word it's going to be released in 2018. Chris, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Yeah, so it is now uh, available on digital HD, and the Blu-ray is coming in January. And both those uh, releases, they have uh, 11 deleted scenes on them. But uh, the director, Andy Muschietti, uh confirmed that there's actually a director's cut in works, which I guess will be cutting all those deleted scenes back into the film. He didn't say when, he just said it'll be available in a few months. So uh, I guess uh, Warner Brothers, they're going to be double dipping on this, where they're going to release a Blu-ray and then they're going to release yet another Blu-ray with a director's cut on it in in a few months from now. It's not like they haven't done that before with the Lord of the Rings trilogy and many other movies. Um, Yes, uh, I'd be interested to see it. I was a fan of it. Um, I have a feeling, though, if you add more to that film, it might feel a little bit long. It already starts to feel a little bit long in the theatrical cut. Um, But I'm curious. Uh, Next up in the news, we have some casting for Artemis Fowl. Now, I don't know anything about Artemis Fowl, so HD, uh, give me some knowledge here. 
So Artemis Fowl is a children's book by Erwin Colfer, who is an Irish author. And it was a book that I grew up reading. And um, even past my high school years, when Erwin Colfer kept publishing books, I uh, followed up with the series. And it's a children's series, but it sort of deals with some some more mature themes. It follows this um, 12-year-old boy genius who is manipulative and a little bit cruel, who uh, embarks on the scheme to kidnap a an elf and ransom her for thou, uh, mil- millions of dollars in gold so that he can find his missing father. So it's it's interesting because the protagonist, the, t- the title character, is actually sort of the villain in the story. Uh, he's the kidnapper who um, tries to ransom elves, which he discovers, who he discovers exists um, under underground. They have this whole uh, underground society made up of elves, um, fairies, centaurs, and uh, they there there's some fun wordplay too because the elf he captures is actually uh, a member of the LEP Recon. Uh, which, you know, is a fun word play off of Leprechaun. And um, I mean, like the Leprechaun and the gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. So it's it's um, it's really interesting in that it deals with mythology and fantasy, but in a more modern urban fantasy type of way. And um, this movie has sort of been in talks and in the works for a while, but now Kenneth Branagh will be helming the movie for Disney. And he has cast his title character uh, with an Irish newcomer named Ferdia Shaw after seeing more than 1,200 child actors for the part. And um, it's a pretty star-studded supporting cast, too. Judy Dench will be playing Commander Root, who leads the LEP Recon police force. Uh, and Commander Root was actually originally a male character, so it's a really fun gender-bend um, role for her part. And uh, Josh Gad will be joining as this morally ambiguous thief uh, dwarf named Mulch, uh, and Nanzo Anazi will be Butler, who is Artemis's bodyguard. And then the other main character is played by child actress Laura McDonnell. So I'm really excited for this film. I have been waiting for this live action adaptation since Harry Potter first came to theaters. So it feels like a long time coming, but it's kind of a di- difficult story to tackle, especially when, you're, when your hero is so, or your protagonist is so... Um, unsympathetic um and i don't know how well it will sort of play over with disney which has a sort of tendency to um to make things much more familiar and pleasant so i hope that it will keep some of its teeth uh but i think the um but the gender bending of judy dench is judy dench's character is a really great start and um i am excited for the film i I'm a little sad that my fan cast, my original fan cast was Asa Butterfield for the title mm. character is no longer viable. But this is, this film is finally happening. So can't wait for that. And of course, they're Disney-fying it by uh, putting Josh Gad on the cast because, yes. I mean, he has to be in every Disney movie, right? So He's in everything now. Yeah. Um, next up in the news, uh, we've been talking about uh, the what we do in the shadows, uh, spawning a bunch of these TV spinoffs. Uh, you know, obviously the, they're going to do one with the were- werewolves, but there's another spinoff in the works and it's coming to TV in 2018. Chris, what do we know? 
Yeah, so in uh, what we do in the shadows, the vampire mockumentary, there's a, a pretty funny scene where uh, two cops show up at the the flat where all the vampires live to investigate, uh, you know, a disturbance. So the, those two cops are getting their own spinoff show. It's called Wellington Paranormal, and it's coming to uh, well, it's coming to New Zealand TV in 2018. Which, and I assume that means uh, we in the U.S. will get it sometime after that. If not airing at the same time, maybe Netflix or one of those channels will pick it up to distribute internationally, I'm sure. Right, but, yeah. Um, I, I guess the question is, is there enough there in that, that plot of, uh, you know, the cops? I don't know. Like, I, I could definitely see, like, a, a spinoff with, you know, the werewolves or even a, you know, telev- you know they're doing a television adaptation of basically the, the story that was in the movie. But is there enough there for the the cop storyline i guess it could work i mean they're describing it as sort of like a mockumentary x-files where every episode the the cops are investigating a new paranormal event so i think it could work i mean the scene in the film is very funny so you know it's the same actors from the you know who played the cops in the film so i i I think they'll make it work i mean i don't think they can get like multiple seasons out of this but for like a few episodes uh, it's going to be six episodes total. So I think that's probably enough to make it work. I think any more than that, it's going to start stretching its premise. Now, I love Taika Waititi, and I like this movie a lot. But, you know, this movie wasn't a big uh, moneymaker at the box office. Is this going to be like the first movie of that level to to spawn like three television adaptations in a sequel? Like it's, It seems kind of crazy. Yeah, it does. I guess it just has a big enough like cult following at this point that people are willing to, you know, do all these spinoffs. I also think, you know, they're relatively inexpensive to make, you know, because, you know, they have the mockumentary angle. And even though there are a few special effects, it's not really like a huge, big budget production. So I guess that alone is enough to convince people to keep, you know, funding these spinoffs. Okay, so right now we're going we're about to talk about Star Wars The Last Jedi and I think we're going to get into a little bit of spoilers. So if you have not seen Star Wars The Last Jedi, you can pause this now, come back to it after you have. But uh let's let's get into some news on Star Wars The Last Jedi. Um Brian Johnson's out out and about doing press and he's kind of talked about uh why Obi-Wan Kenobi isn't in the movie and why Lando Calrissian was almost going to be in the movie. Brian Johnson said that he would have loved to have both of those characters in the film, but they just did not fit into the structure that he made. Uh, Obi-Wan, especially because the only actor who is available to play him right now is Ewan McGregor, who played a young version of of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the prequels. And while uh, Ryan Johnson said that he would have loved to have Ewan McGregor in one of his films, he did not think that it was right for the moment in which... uh, Luke Skywalker's kind of, um, you know, isolated and uh, unmoored and not able to take the right path. And Yoda is the one who urges him to sort of um, kick back into gear. And in that case, uh, Obi-Wan would have played a great part. But because Alec Guinness uh, is no longer uh, here, he he could not have really brought him back. Um, we could have brought him back, back with uh, McGregor. He could have. Maybe he could have aged him up. But at this point, uh, Ryan Johnson said, uh, we never saw Luke ever interact with the 
even version of Obi-Wan. So there's less of an emotional connection and it might have been a little odd. It's kind of similar to how we saw the young Anakin Skywalker force ghosts in the re-releases of Return of the Jedi. And that was always a little odd because why do we have a young Hayden Christensen when Luke never knew him, knew his father as a young yeah. man? So that's it, something I think that works out for the for the better. Yeah, and there, there is a precedent of that. Like Ryan Johnson, the, the reason why he chose a puppet Yoda in Last Jedi is because that's the Yoda that Luke knew, you know. Mm-hmm. So they didn't do a CG Yoda because of that. But uh, how about Lando? Like every everybody was expecting Lando to show up. Billy Dee Williams. Why did Lando not show up in this movie? So Ryan Johnson said that he briefly considered having Lando. Uh, play the part that Benicio Del Toro's DJ eventually ends up playing, which is that uh, morally ambiguous uh, hacker who eventually betrays the group. Um, And it's reminiscent of Lando's original role in Empire Strikes Back. But um, Ryan Johnson said, because we love Lando and you kind of come into it with that expectation, but um, we already know that we love the character of Lando, so it just wouldn't have played that part story-wise summarizing what he said so it seems like it would have been redundant for lando's character and there may be like future plans for lando in later films so it's i think that he thought lando would be redundant and just thought to introduce a new character completely would be better yeah it would have seemed more like a a rehash of empire strikes back i think with lando in there um i have a whole article up on the site about the the, the deleted scenes of star wars last jedi I've been working for the last three weeks on this article. This is exclusive material that you can't find anywhere else. Um, I would really recommend going to the site and checking it out because I have like over a dozen pieces that were that were taken out of the film. But I'll, I'll talk about one here just right now. Uh, and by the way, the first cut of the film was three hours and ten minutes long. So there's like 40 minutes of material that was cut out of the film. Uh, I think Ryan Johnson is a 20 minutes material deleted scenes will make it onto the DVD slash Blu-ray. Um, I think the the scene that everybody that, that, that is definitely going to be on there. And this is the scene that I think is the most interesting is Luke Skywalker's uh, third lesson to Ray because he says he's going to give her three lessons and we only see two in the movie. Uh, what happened was there was a third lesson and this lesson took place um chronologically after they talk inside the cave where Luke mentions Star Sidious uh, what happens is Ray notices these boats arriving at the island uh, and there appears to be a big fire from where they're landing uh, Luke tells her that there's a group of bandits who regularly regularly come to the island and pillage and plunder uh, and kill the uh, the caretakers uh, Ray is very concerned and wants to help them but Luke tells her that if you help them now, the Raiders will come back stronger and it will make things worse in the future. Uh, he basically says, you know, are you always going to be here for them or are you going to make it worse for them? Uh, basically that uh, explaining that the Jedi code is to, to not interfere in this kind of situation. Uh, you know, you got to maintain b- balance. And um, this, of course, infuriates Ray, who uh, ignites her lightsaber and does this force run, which we saw in that first featurette. I'm not sure if you remember, but it was Ray like running through the water with the lightsaber. Uh, that's not in the movie. And she, she runs over to where the fire is. She bursts in and, 
it ends up being like this big party, a big celebration with the caretakers, and they all like uh, stop you know, singing and dancing or whatever they're doing. And they kind of look at her strange and, uh, it, it, it's, it, she, I don't know. There's, it, there's kind of a funny moment there. Ch- Chewbacca's there with the pork. R2D2 is like, uh, spinning some lights on Chewie and, uh, Ray's like seriously. And, you know, she's now more mad at Luke and, uh, Luke, uh, she confronts Luke and basically he admits that he's sorry. And Ray says that, uh, she thought they were in danger and was trying to do something. So Luke responds seriously that he this is the exact exactly what the resistance needs, not some old husk of a failed religion. They need, you know, someone to respond and do something. And, you know, obviously, he, you know, this is the third lesson he's trying to teach her. But uh, this brings Ray to tears. And uh, she explains that the only real friends she has are dying and, quote, the old legend of Luke Skywalker that you hate so much, I believed in it. Um, Luke is in shock, realizing what he's done. Uh, Ray runs off. This is the whole reason for why Ray leaves Octu and goes to uh, you know see Kylo, um, which is something I had a problem with in the, in the actual film. I felt like there wasn't enough motivation to make her make that kind of stupid decision to like, yeah, I'm gonna go right to the bad guys. And because that's my best plan of attack, uh, I feel like the, it, emotionally this would have been uh, good to have in the film. But apparently, from what I understand, Luke came off as too much of a dick in these scenes. So uh, it was cut. And also, uh, even though it was approved by the Lucasfilm uh, Star Wars story group uh, in execution, the, you know, the the Jedi way, even though it was accurate to the Jedi way it seemed like it wasn't accurate to the Jedi way so I guess that's another reason why I was cut but uh you could see a lot of the concept art in the art of the Force Awakens which I mentioned earlier and you can see it in my piece on slashfilm.com Wh- what do you guys think of this this scene uh, <laughs> that makes it sound like I didn't like it um it's interesting um I would have liked to see I think part of that third uh that third lesson but I do think it probably was would would have been too far in terms of how it portrayed Luke's character. Um, I think that the reason that Ray runs off works for me because she she has at that point felt sort of betrayed that Luke didn't tell her the whole story about how Kylo turned and how um, his temple was was uh, destroyed. So I and even though he explains to her, she feels more urgent in terms of like how Kylo that Kylo can be saved and that she can sort of end it here. So that works for me in terms of like how the, how the story finally plays out. Um, yeah, I think that the idea of the party seems a little bit like extraneous because we already have so many moments of that, of hilarity that undercut a lot of scenes. So I'm not sure how that would have played out in the, in the final film. Yeah. And I, I also learned in the book, uh, the, uh, the visual dictionary that, Basically, all the caretakers we see on the island are women, and the men go out to sea and actually, you know, fish and get the food that they live off of. And once a month, they return to the island, and they have this big festival, which is a celebration, uh, which we would have saw here, uh, which basically them returning, everybody eating, and some romance and all that stuff. Uh, But it's not in the movie. Uh, Oh, one other thing I want to say is... uh, I think one of the things that this film wasn't successful on is I think Ryan Johnson was trying to make Luke kind of like 
a little bit more of a jokester, kind of like uh, Yoda was in Empire Strikes Back. Kind of like, you know, this uh, guy that's been kind of by himself for so long and is kind of a jokester but doesn't, uh, you know, know what's funny and what's not. And I, I think, you know, with some stuff like the lightsaber toss and other stuff. And this, I think, like, you know, him joking about this fire thing, I think it, it probably didn't work in execution uh chris is this something you would would have liked to see in the movie or not yeah um you know I, i'm on record as saying i, I really liked the last jedi um but all these deleted scenes i've read about they sound really cool they sound like they would make it an even better movie you know i get that you know if they had left them all in the film would have been even longer than it is now but i really do hope we get some sort of director's cut or at the very least, you know, they're all included on a Blu-ray release just because I really want to see all these scenes. They sound very interesting and they sound like they'll actually make the film even better than it is now. Yeah. And, uh, I'll have an interview with the editor uh, next week at some point, uh, which you'll be able to read and maybe we'll post on here, uh, which is interesting to hear how, you know, how this stuff gets decided. But it's it's interesting because I don't think since George Lucas there has been a, you know, quote unquote director's cut of a Star Wars film. And I wonder if Disney would ever allow that. Um, because I would even like to see, you know, The Force Awakens had some scenes in it that, like, didn't make the DVD, even the deleted scenes that I think would make that movie better. Uh, I would love to see, you know, I know fans are going to cringe, but I would love to see special editions of these movies. <laughs> but, um, uh, I mean, uh, you know, a side note, uh, Ryan Johnson moved the scar on, on Kylo Ren's face. Uh, you know, why not go back and move that in, in J.J. Abrams' movie? Um. You know, how wait did he? How far did he move it? Did he just like put it more in the center uh, of his eye? You know, I'd have to show you photos, but he moved it like I think originally it was across the nose or something. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to show you a, a photo of that. But now um, it's a sexy scar. Yeah, no, yeah, I think he just wanted it. It just like looked weird. He thought it looked weird. It wasn't like any story reason. So, uh, yeah. So, anyways, I'm not beyond uh, a, a special edition of these movies. Uh, you know, after the the trilogy is out, I'm sure you know th- they'll want to re-release them in some way, and maybe maybe we'll see that. Um, but please head over to slashfilm.com and check out my article: Star Wars: Last Jedi deleted scenes, everything we know. It contains 11 more scenes that were not in the movie, um, some of which will not be on the DVD. So check it out there. Um, this does it for Slash Film Daily for today. Uh, Chris, where can we find more of your work online? I'm at SlashFilm.com and I'm on Twitter at SeaEvangelista413. HD, where can we find you? I'm at SlashFilm.com. I'm on Twitter at HTranBui and you can find my podcast, the Millennial Falcon Podcast, on iTunes. You can find me at SlashFilm.com, at SlashFilm on Twitter. You can find all the articles we talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. Slash Film Daily, this podcast is published almost every weekday at iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. We also publish it on SlashFilm.com. If you could please go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. That helps us out quite a bit. Spread the word, tell your friends, and we'll see you tomorrow.